Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. We have been talking a lot on this show about CPA pipeline challenges. We've been talking about the 150-hour rule, that extra year of education to become a CPA. We've been having folks on the show to talk about these issues. We have invited David Noble from the South Carolina Association of CPAs. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Blake. I'm looking forward to being with you. What is your involvement in this whole discussion about pipeline issues? I am the chair this year for the South Carolina Association of CPAs, but I've also spent the last four or five years working in our governmental affairs committee, which means I helped rewrite regulations. We've rewritten the Accountancy Act once already and are are working on that again. When you think of pipeline problems, what does that mean to you? We've got a large aging population around the country. This is not just South Carolina specific. And this aging population is retiring in the field of accounting. The problem is that we have a smaller number of students, students in every profession. Demand's increasing because there's more work to do. It's more complex. More governmental agencies need need audits done. Tax law gets more complicated. So high demand, low supply is a problem. So the pipeline question is how do we get these students to decide they want to spend time studying in accounting and then spend the, the, the work necessary to become a certified public accountant? That's our pipeline problem. I understand that South Carolina is considering some changes to the Accountancy Act there. What are you working on? We started this process almost a year ago and sent a law, uh, a proposed law out to NASBA and the ASCPA to review, and we got comments back from them. As we went through that process, we rethought what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. South Carolina is not being radical. We spent a lot of time researching it to make sure what we were doing was something that made sense and had been done in other places. We're not changing our initial licensure process at all. And so our substantial equivalency has to remain because we didn't change our process. But we're making it clear that they can come up with different things to change or to make equivalent. We're changing mobility consistent with other state laws so that we're protecting the public for folks that might might come in that aren't substantially equivalent. We're getting folks into the profession that might not otherwise be here. If we can do low-cost certificate programs, we're getting folks into the profession that might not otherwise be here. We're not making it easier. We're making it less costly, and we're actually improving the 30-hour education and taking away the concept of doing anything you want and instead guiding them to more business skills to make them a better, well-rounded professional. So with this, this law that we have now proposed, and we've sent it to NASBA again, we've sent it to the AICPA, we've actually just sent it uh, in the last day or two to our Board of Accountancy, and we've asked to be on their agenda for an October meeting. We always talk with our board, get feedback from them. We found over time that there are some folks in there that uh, have practiced accounting much longer than we have and have good, insightful thoughts. There's a, a person in South Carolina that was very instrumental at NASBA as a chair, during this process of becoming substantially equivalent. He's a good friend of mine, and I always run things by him to get his perspective. He's got a perspective on both sides. He's been chair of our board, chair of the Board of Accountancy, and chair of NASBA. So we solicit comments, and and we want to hear what people think. We just believe that this time we really hit it, that it's not radical. And so this is the right thing to do for everybody, including the nation. The issue that we've been discussing specifically on our show extensively in the last few months is this 150-hour rule in pretty much every state that requires accountants who want to become CPAs to get the equivalent of a fifth year of education. 
in an accredited university or college, uh, which adds expense, adds cost. We saw in Minnesota, they're considering replacing or, or offering an alternative pathway that goes back to the 120 hours. What is South Carolina doing in this regard? I have a master's degree from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And if you ask me if I'd do it again, I'd say absolutely. But I'm also not first-generation college student. Their wherewithal to spend $30,000 a year going to a public university for five years is not near what it is other folks. So it's not only whether they would produce good CPAs, it's partially whether they can afford to do the work to get to that point. And if you can't afford it, what happens? So there's also single-parent households that have difficulty getting through that process. There are folks that are trying to get to a second career. So when we talk about alternative pathways or different ways we can get to the CPA licensure, part of what we're trying to do is capture those folks that would otherwise not be CPAs. How do we get Mm -hmm. someone that's not a CPA, but almost there across the finish line and add them to, to the pool? So that's, that's one thing that, that we certainly address and talk about. You mentioned Minnesota. I have to give a shout out, a kudos to Minnesota, because what they did was they forced us all to step back and take a look at not only our state, but look at how the other states work and really start discussion. It it caused me to spend a lot of time looking at other state laws and how do they work. There are a lot of myths out there with some of the terms that we have. And uh, I got to tell you, as I look at them, you have new meaning when you really study these things. So we're going to do some myth busting today for sure. I would love to do that with you because I've been I've been digging into this concept of substantial equivalency and I'm finding that it's 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 a very complex concept and not well understood by me for sure but I think by most people let's talk about how we how we deal with education in terms of licensure. So uh, Blake do you like pizza? Oh, I love pizza. You know, you love pizza. I mean, who doesn't? David, how about you? I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm on board. All right. Well, we used to have growing up with my kids, we'd have Friday night was pizza and movie night. Pizza is a great way to talk about education when you're a CPA. So you got your crust. Your crust is your foundation, and the crust is a bachelor's degree. So to sit for the CPA exam, we all have to have a bachelor's degree. That's 120 hours of education. The red sauce, the sauce, Well, that's the accounting courses that we're required to take. Most places, most states and jurisdictions have 24 hours of specific types of courses, audit and tax, that you have to take to be that well-rounded CPA. And then you put the cheese on top, and the cheese are your business courses that you got to take. You got to take marketing, some operations, again, to be a well-rounded business professional. Then now you got a cheese pizza. Well, this cheese pizza allows you to sit for the CPA exam. What happens after that? We're only at 120 hours and we have to go to 150. So we got 30 hours left to go. We're going to call that the toppings. And one of the toppings is going to be 30 hours on a transcript. It's going to be a master's degree. And and that's one way we can turn that pizza into a, we can put mushrooms on it. Now we got a mushroom pizza. So the question is, can we put other toppings on this pizza to deal with this last 30 hours? So my question is not, is it 120 versus 150? My question is, how do we deal with the last 30 hours? It's 120 plus 30 all the time, but what's the 30? So Blake, one of the things that we did to get to that was we took a really hard look at the UAA, and I'm not talking about just the the language and the model rule or suggested rule. 
and not Appendix B, which we hear frequently when we talk about substantial equivalency, but we looked at the introduction, we looked at the preface, we read it cover to cover. We also did something else. Blake, we took a look at the state requirements around the country because at the end of the day, we've got NASBA with a really great suggestion for us to start with. And they made it clear that we could take the entire example UAA as a, as a replacement statute, or we could take pieces of it and work it piecemeal as it fits. But each state at the end of the day has their own choice as to how they're going to take care of licensing. So the UAA was really, really p picky as they talked about what they wanted to do. And they said, flexibility is the key. They said, at all costs, we have to maintain mobility. We have to maintain mobility at all costs. And we cannot let minor differences discourage us from being able to work across state lines, okay? This is what the UAA tells us. So the first thing I'll ask you is, if we're dealing with the last 30 hours, and right now, this is one of our myths. I believe this is a myth. 30 hours on a transcript, that's exactly what the UAA says. If we're going to be flexible in dealing with this last 30 hours, we have one of two things we can do. We can either lower the number of hours, so it's less than 30 hours on a transcript, or we can change the transcript requirement. Now, South Carolina made a, a governing requirement when we started this process. We will not do anything that degrades the CPA profession. I don't want to lower the 30-hour requirement, but I want to talk about the transcript requirement. So you're saying that the UAA, the Uniform Accountancy Act, which most of the states have adopted to some extent, does not explicitly define the 150 hours as 150 hours of classes on a transcript. So the UAA as a model rule, and remember this is a suggested rule because NASBA can't set state statutes. Each state has to do it. As a model rule, the UAA requires 150 hours on a transcript. When you look at the underlying premises that they use to get there, that's one example. Their underlying premise throughout the preface, the introduction, and appendix B indicates that they've got to be flexible. Well, if you only have one example, that can't be flexible. One example is one example. One example is 100 hours on a, uh, 150 hours on a transcript. And so my point is, there's only two things you can change when you're talking about hours of education in a transcript to be flexible. Let's talk about experience, right? We have to have a year's worth of experience, am I right? Typically, if you have a master's degree, it used to be two but, years and but right, go ahead. but not every state is, is is the same. There are small differences. Well, that's that's myth number two, right? So everybody believes a year experience. How you work for a year and you can get your license, right? So Hawaii says that you have to have fifteen hundred hours of it, of experience. Now, if if you just took thirty five hours a week, that's forty three weeks of of experience. They don't tell you how long it takes to get it. They just say you have to have fifteen hundred hours. Well. North Carolina says that you have to have 30 hours a week for 52 weeks. That's 1,560 hours. But it means that if you got a week where you get less than 30 hours, technically it doesn't count. So they set a requirement huh. that's per week. And the total, if you get it all, is 1,560 hours, right? Arkansas says I need 2,000 hours of work, of experience to become uh, publicly licensed. North Carolina's rule, though, also says that that one-year experience is under the direct supervision of a CPA. 
They have another way to get experience. And if you get four years of experience without any CPA overseeing your work, that's equivalent to a year. So not only do they have a different number of hours, but you can actually get the experience without working for a CPA and still say it's, it, North Carolina said it's functionally equivalent to have four years of experience without a CPA or one year of experience with a CPA. Okay. And let me toss another one at you. I was licensed in California where you have the option of doing audit hours or not. I chose, because I don't ever plan on signing audits, to pass on that. So I'm a CPA in California who never worked in audit. Other states, I understand, do require the audit hours. Some states do. South Carolina does not. Okay. But the way I understand it, too, in California, that means you cannot sign an audit opinion. You can't right. do the audit work until you've had that audit experience, right? I, I can at any time go get the 500 hours. Don't quote me on that. I think it's 500. And then I could sign audits. But I can't right. now. But it's funny because I'm now licensed in Arizona. So I, I, I moved my license over to Arizona and gave up my California license. Can I now sign audits? Because I'm an Arizona CPA, even though I never did the audit hours? If you live in Arizona and you do an audit that's not in California, I would not advise you to do one in California mobily. But if you did one in Arizona and you follow Arizona state laws and they allow you to sign an audit opinion, absolutely. So then there's another difference that I've become aware of, which is uh, CPAs or chartered accountants who are licensed abroad who then become CPAs here in the United States. They have different work experience requirements and education requirements. They can get licensed here even though they didn't do the same um, exact requirements that, say, South Carolina may have or California may have through reciprocity. Correct. So you're talking internationally. So yes, Ireland is a good example. Ireland, actually, you can come to the United States, you'll have a 120-hour, basically an undergraduate degree, but they have less than 150 hours of education. And we have a, a law that basically states, a federal law that says they can be uh, equivalent to a certified public accountant if they move here. So to summarize, there are differences among many jurisdictions, and yet we still have mobility. There's differences yes. among in the, yeah. in the experience requirement. That's what we've been talking about. Um, and also the education requirement among Correct. the so states. The education is the easiest one to understand. So now, now we've just learned that one year is not a year. One year means right. many different things. So each place is different. But that will help us now have a discussion about mobility. There's in and out mobility. And I'm only in control of one. I cannot control which state will take my license as mobility. So for example, Hawaii is the only one of the 55 jurisdictions that has no mobility. I cannot do a tax return or an audit in the, in the state of Hawaii while I'm residing in the state of South Carolina. And I have no control over that. Hawaii is the only one that has control over their laws. That's outbound mobility. As South Carolina, we have absolute control over inbound mobility. So Blake, I can determine whether a CPA from Arizona or California has the right to work inside South Carolina uh, mobily or through mobility. And for those that, that are, are still not sure they understand the mobility concept, what it says is if you're going to work inside a state, but you don't reside inside that state, 
that if certain things are in alignment, you're going to agree to be bound by the laws in the state you're working in. So if you're working in, if you're in uh, Arizona and working in uh, South Carolina, Mobile, you're agreeing to abide by South Carolina laws. And if you don't, South Carolina Board of Accountancy is going to going to request to see you and, and then take it back to your Arizona board. You agree to that, then you can work inside the state. Now, there's a problem with the way some mobility works today, and there's a problem the way South Carolina mobility is written today. When I say problem, it's a, it's a protection of the public issue. So one of our other guiding principles was we want to make sure we, and we maintain protection of the public. That's an important duty. It's part of why uh, CPAs are trusted. And I, I don't know for a fact. Uh, so this is a, a personal opinion of David Nobles, not necessarily the state of, of South Carolina. But I believe that the UAA was written, the mobility requirements were written with the thought that no state would ever decide not to be substantially equivalent. Okay, so why do I say that? Well, now let me speak of South Carolina again. In, in uh, most mobility laws and in the UAA, the first test is whether you come from a substantially equivalent state. So whether or not you are substantially equivalent, Blake, as long as your state is, then you're presumed to be substantially equivalent in South Carolina. That's UAA. And note that we're we're the only profession that can do this. You don't have to register with South Carolina. You don't have to pay a fee to South Carolina. You don't have to get licensed in South Carolina. And, and you know, lawyers have to pass the bar in every state they work in. Uh, I think nurses, if I'm right, nurses are the only ones that really adapted to this. And they did it with the pandemic because nurses had to move between state boundaries to assist hospitals. And so the nursing profession decided that they practice a type of mobility. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's let's come back to this concept. The UAA says first test, if your state is substantially equivalent, then you can work with mobility. If your state is not substantially equivalent, if you are, then you get to work with mobility. What happens, um, and I'm, I'm not picking on Minnesota, but let's assume that Minnesota decides that they wanted to put in a requirement of only 120 hours and, and two years of experience. And then let's say that South Carolina or another state decided they were not substantially equivalent. So, Blake, let's assume that you're yeah. that Minnesota CPA. So you're not substantially equivalent either. So, so how does that work? You're still going to do my tax return in South Carolina. And if you look at South Carolina's law, which mirrors the UAA for the most part in in terms of mobility, you're going to say, well, Blake doesn't come from a substantial equivalent state. and Blake is not substantial equivalent. So he's not practicing with mobility. He's Mm -hmm. actually practicing the unlicensed practice of accounting, which is as if you weren't a CPA in South Carolina, even though you are in in Minnesota, right? So the law in South Carolina says that's okay. We'll issue you a letter. We're going to say, Blake, you can't do that anymore. And Blake's going to say, if I want to do the return, I sure will. That letter's not going to stop me, right? So then we have to turn you over to administrative law court. They have to decide that they're going to get the notice from us. They're going to read it. They're going to determine if they have jurisdiction over you. Then they're going to decide if they have to hear the case or they're going to hear the case. Then they have to find you guilty of something. Then we worry about it. Well, by this time, you're done. And you may not ever work in here again. So what's it really going to happen? Right. So the, the, the fallacy of the existing mobility p- process is that we didn't anticipate a state might not be substantially equivalent. So what's the fix? Well, it's pretty simple. And this is the fix we've used. If you remove substantial equivalency from the mobility requirement and you say, look, if you're a CPA, then you agree to be bound by these laws and you can practice here mobily. 
right? Now, it doesn't matter whether you come from a substantially equivalent state or not. This is not a radical idea. This is not new. It's clearly the right concept. Alabama has an existing law that says exactly that. Alabama already tells us that you don't have to be a CPA uh, to work in that state. They say a person who's licensed as a certified public accountant in another state, blah, 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 can practice. You just have to be a certified public accountant in another state. Guess what? North Carolina has another one. The requirement is that the individual holds a valid and unrevoked certificate or license. There's no mention of substantial equivalency in either of those state laws. Alaska doesn't even go with this, this concept, this definition. They say, if you have 150 hours a year experience in the CPA exam, then you can practice here mobily. Oh, and by the way, our definition of substantial equivalency is that the Board of Alaska CPAs determines it. It has no mention of NQAS or NASB or any other certifying organization. Alaska decides if they're own, on their own volition if you are substantially equivalent. Right. Some states so- rely on the board or NASBA, and either one could determine they're substantially equivalent. Some states require only rely on their own on their own volition and whether you're substantially equivalent. So, so in all cases, it's going to be either the board in that state or NASBA, or the state simply doesn't even rely on substantial equivalency to determine mobility, or the combination. Okay, you could be substantially equivalent according to NQAS, and then the board could over override it and say, if you're not, we'll say you are. Right. NQAS is NASBA. Correct. That's their their service that determines if a state or if an individual is substantially equivalent. And important to note, right now every jurisdiction is substantially equivalent. So it right. There's but a, that, right. There's a lot of terms to, here. We're starting to get confused, yeah, right? right? And I'm glad we're talking about this because I feel like the issue is vastly oversimplified when it's discussed. Like this whole concept of substantial equivalency, there's a lot of room to change what that means. And NQAS, it seems, has a lot of discretion. I mean, when it decides what substantial equivalency is, it can basically rewrite the law in in a sense by by simply making a determination. And now if, so remember, I told you that we have no control over outbound mobility. I can't control what all the other 54 jurisdictions do. I can only control what happens coming into South Carolina. So yes, there's possibility, but there's mm-hmm. always been the possibility for a state to just say, I don't like South Carolina. You cannot come practice here. Right. Mobily. So, Hawaii said that to everybody. You, you just can't come in. You got to, you got to move here and you got to get your own license. So can I rewind just kind of what we've sure. just, what's, what the discussion has been for the last half hour. There's the UAAA. And if there's, let's say we add a 51st you, state, we're going to give had an extra, UAAA, I think you had an extra right? A on there. Too many A's? UAA. <laughs> Uniform Accountancy <laughs> Act. So we add our 51st state. We're going to give them that. You need to create a state society. You need to create some laws. Use this as a guide. They could take it very literal or they could do whatever they want. And you're arguing like it's kind of vague in over eight editions of this. All 55 jurisdictions have just kind of made their own rules along the way. And your bigger argument is because of that, we, South Carolina, can interpret the 30 hours any way we want. So first, I don't think it's vague. I actually, I'm taking the UAA at its word, especially when it comes to the introductory material, because it is in its eighth edition. 
So I believe that the words and the terms and the concepts are very important and are there for a reason. The UAA model rules and statutes, however, is one example, and they are very, very specific. And the answer is South Carolina can do whatever we want. And what I'm trying to tell you is we're not being radical in our law. What we're actually doing is studying what the intention of the UAA is and looking at existing state laws because we're all substantially equivalent today. So doesn't it make sense to you that if we study other states' laws, that if we find a law that makes sense to use in our state, if we use that law, we should still be substantially equivalent. And remember, substantial equivalency only has to do with your initial licensure process. Regardless of what I say for mobility, regardless of what South Carolina does for reciprocity, it's really how you get licensed. So once I, I get this new license, Am I now equivalent in the eyes of other, other jurisdictions? I have no control over the mobility in the other states. So if another state says you have to be substantially equivalent and there's no room for error, otherwise you're not mobile, then how do I break it? Well, I have to break it by doing something that is not considered a minor difference, that is not considered flexibility from the UAA. The UAA does not say you must follow this rule exactly to be substantially equivalent. It says right. the opposite, the exact opposite. The ultimate goal is flexibility. The key is flexibility. The key is allowing minor differences so we don't interrupt state law. But somehow we have ended up with a situation where any change is considered to be breaking mobility. So how do you square that with the intent right. of the UAA? And, it's very, it's, it's really interesting. Either the rule is we must follow this law exactly or it's flexible. Those are only two choices. And right. since it said flexible, we either change the number of hours, this, this 30 hours, the toppings on our pizza, or we change the, the, the idea that it's on a transcript. And remember, all of this is from the, the process or the, the viewpoint of pipeline. We want incremental CPAs that would otherwise not be CPAs. And we want to do it in such a way that we uphold the integrity and the, the longstanding tradition of, of the uh, fact that a CPA is, is considered a, a very important business advisor. So we don't want to degrade the CPA profession. Did you know that New York has a law in place that says if you have 15 years of experience in public practice, you do not need an education to get a CPA license. You need to pass the exam, but that takes the place of education. Hold up. Hold up. This is blowing my mind here. So you're saying in New York, if I never got a college degree, but I've practiced accountancy for 15 years, I can take the CPA exam and I can become a CPA. I wasn't clear whether you still needed a year's experience or that was baked in, but yes. Yes. Well, now, I assume if I well, have 15 years of experience, right? I'm, I'm good there. So maybe you need 16. So I, again, okay. I, but, I don't want to split but, the hair. And then but, is, so yeah. a CPA, but so in that rule doesn't cause New York to somehow be not substantially equivalent. That's correct. The one question I'd ask is, well, how many people have ever used it? Right? Well, right. I, I don't know. Nobody really knows except potentially New York because we don't submit to NASBA or anyone else how we got licensed. We simply ask the state to license us when we get there. So number one, we don't know how many people have used it. But right. what we do know is that New York, who is the state that actually created the CPA. CPAs were created in the late 1800s, if I'm right, through the state of New York. First one, first state society, New York. 
Right. They haven't removed the law from their books. What does that tell you? That tells you that somebody believes it's worth leaving, no matter right. how often it's used. So I come so, back to its pipeline. Right. Now, so so, I, so I'm sorry. Honestly, I just I just have to. So so how could the how could NASBA or any state deem Minnesota, for example, to be no longer substantially equivalent if they create an alternative pathway that has 120 semester hours and two years of experience, when in New York State it's possible to become a licensed CPA without a college degree. Yeah, it feels like there's Look, already I, existing alternative pathways. They already right. exist. Well, I, yes. I, that's that's part of my argument. Okay, now I think this is an extreme, and it clearly doesn't help our current pipeline issue because if someone starts today, it's 15 years before they're <laughs> here. By that time, we're going to be in a different cycle again. So I'm not suggesting that's a fix to pipeline, but it's one alternative that exists today. And I purposely didn't start with Ohio because we, you know, Ohio's alternative path and passing the GMAT with a high score and and counting for some education requirements. I think folks have talked about that a lot. So I've not studied it because I wanted to find new things. I wanted to find other things that were out there. But but so, you're saying in Ohio, because I've heard that before, that Ohio has a pathway that doesn't require five years of education. And they are also right. deemed substantially equivalent by NQAS and by all the other states. And what it tells me is that there's alternative ways to do things. We've seen experience in alternative ways. What it does tell me is that there's flexibility. So if I accept the fact that transcript is an item that can change, if I accept the fact that at least one state has replaced experience and education, what we're saying is there are ways to deal with state laws that bridge the gap for this last 30 hours, but aren't on a transcript. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a comparison question. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, let's see if you get this question right. Okay. David, you're, you're in the middle here. So you're going to take, uh, you're going to take an advanced business writing course at the university, university of South Carolina in Columbia. And it's going to be on your transcript for this last 30 hours. It's not a required course, but it certainly will help you with your business writing. Now, Blake, you're going to take the same course, but you're going to take it through the executive program, which means you're not going to get credit for it on a transcript. But you and David are actually in the same class. So here's the question. Is there any difference in the education that you receive between the two of you? As long as we took the same, we attended the same lectures, we did the same homework, we took the same exams. No. The only difference is that transcript. That's my point. So... Why, why would we not take our, our universities across the country, let them use their executive programs and come up with lower cost education processes that are the same types of classes? And, and you know what else you do when you create this process? I might call it a, a certificate program instead of a, a, a degree, right? I've turned this these toppings of this other 30 hours where we've just decided and we've really, we've determined that you can take any class you want and take photography, you take psychology, you take whatever you want. It doesn't have to be business related. What if I give you the option to take some business courses that aren't on, on a transcript or, or provided by the same professors at the same universities? And we, we say that's equivalent to 30 hours. I, I, I have to believe based on these analysis but that's a very minor difference as to whether it's on a transcript or not, especially when it's a, a really important class to making uh, me a, a better and more well-rounded professional. Did you say earlier that the UAA doesn't define the 30 hours as semester hours? 
So Appendix B explicitly removes the term semester. Okay. Appendix B does not use, it says 150 hour education requirement. And it huh. says flexibility is the key, right? Right. And I'm sure that, again, I have to rely on the eighth edition being that, that, that people have looked at this stuff eight times and decided that the way we've written it is clear, it's concise, and it means what we want it to mean. And it could be a combination. It's not one or the other, but it's not 30 on a transcript is really That's what right. the point of view is and the argument is. Now, look, all, all of this, so there's, there's some very, very key components here. And, and I know for a fact that some of the folks that are going to be watching this are going to be in states outside of South Carolina. And I certainly hope they are because just like Minnesota, we want to spark discussion, but we want to do it in something in a framework that makes sense. Part of what we need to do today, part of our responsibility is to future-proof our profession. We need to make sure that the laws that we have will adapt with changing circumstances. How many of you today would have thought that most new graduates would only spend a day or two in the office every week? I put on my suit and tie, carry my briefcase every day to the office. Yeah, I went uphill in the snow both ways too. But <laughs> the point is that, that today we've already adapted with a pandemic and we don't spend near the same time in the office. What else are we going to do when we, when we adapt? How are we going to future-proof it? Well, we've added this additional path to, to licensure dealing with IT, right? So now there's the whole exam has changed, okay? So we want to make sure that we future-proof our law. That's the, the main reason that we think that Alabama and North Carolina made the great first step removing substantial equivalency out of mobility. So let's future-proof it by making sure if, if the state goes a little rogue, even if it's for a short period of time, it's fine. We want to make sure that we protect the public by governing them. Mm -hmm. uh, but number two, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we remain substantially equivalent because it's going to take time. We've spent the last 20 years putting this in place. And, you know, I really have a high respect for, for Ken Bishop as the CEO of NASBA and for Sue Coffey, CEO of Public Accounting at AICPA. They're in a tough spot because they're trying to make 55 jurisdictions happy that all differ. They're trying to find something that works for everybody. And in reality, we're trying to find something that works for South Carolina and fits the framework such that, that we work well with other states. Another state doesn't say we don't want to do business with South Carolina. So all these suggestions, all these toppings on the pizza, there's for those of you that are watching in other states, I think here's the way to do it. I think we build into the law something that we put in in our last law change, and I remind you we're substantially equivalent today. And that is once we list our main requirements, our 150 hours on a transcript, a year of experience and exam, we give the board the opportunity to determine that certain things are equivalent to that 30 hours of education. The board of accountancy can then determine what it is. SCAPA, we're an association that promotes and protects CPAs. The board of accountancy regulates CPAs. So sometimes we may be a little bit of a crossroads. So let the board make that decision. Our law already has that in place. And that the law changes that we're suggesting just further define it and give the board a little more direction and say they may create rules and regulations that deal with other programs that are substantially equivalent to the education piece, including items such as certificate programs, right? So we're giving them opportunities to make decisions, but they've got to make the decision. So really you're making it, you're giving it your future protect future-proofing it because there's some elbow room in there because we don't know the way technology is three years from now, five years from now, college might be delivered in a whole different way. 
South Carolina is also doing something else new that sort of fits that realm. And we've started a, a, a pilot program this year. Right now it's beginning in the fall that will have a, a dual enrollment process for high school kids. They'll be able, these students will be able to take a college level accounting course, intro to accounting, not audit or something fancy, by streaming with an online university professor. So just like some of these students do engineering today or computer science, you know, they'll do it with the tech schools during the school day and get credit for it. We have, we have actually funded through our association. We spent money to, uh, to work with one university and one local uh, group of high schools to allow students to take the course, which will then give them college credit for accounting. They still have to pass it. But the point is, we're trying to introduce, not only introduce accounting at the high school level, but let those folks get college credit for it as soon as they enroll in South Carolina. And so you talk about pipeline and talk about getting people interested in our profession. Clearly, it's best to do it at that, that mm -hmm. level. And so why not make it open and available for them to get college credit? There's a lot of talk about STEM and can we make accounting STEM? There's federal law out there now that they're discussing. And we told our federal folks we support it. We've got a law in South Carolina to promote STEM. So honestly, it's not just dealing with our laws and our regulations today and how you become an accountant. But each state, I believe, has a duty to start working with uh, the younger folks and trying to pull them into the profession, let them experience it, but do it in such a way that they get credit for it as they move into the college profession and the college uh, venue, which is what a lot of other pro professions do today. So if South Carolina or Minnesota or any other state for that matter, changes its requirements to alter the education requirement in some way, because these states are already deemed substantially equivalent, nothing will happen automatically to eliminate mobility it would require another state or NASBA's National Qualification Appraisal Service to then say after the legislation passes, South Carolina, Minnesota, whatever state, you are no longer substantially equivalent. It would take action by them to cause a problem with mobility for your CPAs. It would depend on the state law. So we've already said Alaska doesn't use NASBA's substantial equivalency. They set their own. Right. So but currently, Alaska you may are or may substantially not equivalent already right, right now. Right. So there's nothing automatic right. would happen. It's not like in Alaska they have, you know, it written into the law, right? They, they also have discretion because there are all these small right. changes. So their board would have to do something. Because if the keynote is flexibility, everything's right. about flexibility and promoting mobility across state lines. So yes, but the the bigger point, Blake, you yeah. you you met you you've got it. I think I'm going to say you have a little bit backwards. It doesn't require a law change here in South Carolina. Every jurisdiction is free to make that decision right now today, but without a law change. Exactly. Five years so, ago, they could have made that change. It has nothing to do with the current the right. current realm of where we are, it has everything to do with what a state wants to do. So what I'm getting at is if all the states, you know, if all the leaders from all the boards of accountancy and all the state societies got together and said, let's give each other a little bit of wiggle room on this and said, we're not going to deem any of you all to be no longer substantially equivalent. We don't have to worry about reciprocity or not reciprocity, mobility. Right, mobility is only under threat if the leaders of these boards of accountancy or at NASBA decide to put it under threat. 
depending on state laws, yet NASBA clearly has the uh, the authority to use the NQAS service to determine that a state is not substantially equivalent. So um, it's not I automatic. I honestly though. believe. Yeah, I you know, I, I think I think Ken's a reasonable person. I think NASBA is a reasonable group, and I believe right. if we all work together that we're going to find a way to do this without getting to that point. I know it's very important to Ken because he's told me personally that he, he wants to make sure that we all maintain that mobility and that reciprocity. And, you know, we didn't hit reciprocity, but in general, reciprocity follows very similar rules. Yeah, it feels like all the wiggle room already exists, but they're really making it, it's being presented as in like, oh, this is the domino that's going to cause everything to collapse. And it's like the, it, it could collapse anyways because all the wiggle room's already there. That's right. It's actually, I, I, I may be going out on a limb, but I think mobility to a degree is already broken. There's so many different laws. You don't have to register. You don't have to license to practice mobily. How does another state even know if I'm working mobily? Yeah, That's a can't. dangerous concept to think of. <laughs> but in reality, what we're It's irrelevant. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's irrelevant it's, until someone does something they shouldn't, right? That's when you get noticed. If you do... If yeah, but really even then, to your clients and if I'm if I'm doing a tax return for a client in South Carolina, what jurisdiction does the does the state of California or state of South Carolina have over me in Arizona anyway? So you know, if you're practicing using mobility and it works, right? Yeah. If I if let's say you never give me my documents back, you don't finish my return, you said you filed it and you didn't file it, and I got a complaint, I'm going to take it to South Carolina and they're going to sanction you, and then they're going to tell your board what happened. And your board will come after you. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. So in reality, there is a hook. Uh, but, yeah, but it's not like somebody, it's not like they're going to send state your troopers. Your attorney's going to look at the law well, to make sure it fits, <laughs> and we want to make sure we future proof it so yeah. that it does fit, regardless of who you are as a CPA. That's right. That's right. So I I, I can't speak for the other states. I can just tell you from yeah. South Carolina's perspective, we think. For us, certainly, the best way to deal with this is deal with the 150, 120 plus 30, and take the 30 and let the board decide what other things are are functionally the same as that 30 hours. And let's see if we can improve on the process, but cut the cost and get some of these folks in that that can't afford to spend five years in school, but are just as good as we are. David Noble, I just got to say, I love what you have done here because this is like a work of art. You have managed to... You have managed to find the flexibility that's already in the existing law, that's already in the UAA, and I'm looking at it right now. I found that Appendix B that you mentioned, Section A, Substantially Equivalent States, and it just says 150 hours. It doesn't say semester hours. Think- and it says flexibility, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Key and that's at the very front. Yeah, right. flexibility is, right. is like in, in all of the principles there. So it seems like a very strong legal basis to make these changes. And I, I, I would have a hard time arguing the other side of this. Well, I was hoping you would, and that's why I put it together. And once we decided that it made sense, it was easy to, to adjust the law. I really think we fit in it, and we, we've done nothing new, nothing out of place. And what I think we're proving is we can all do this. And we can do it in such a way that it works. And uh-huh. so again, kudos to, to Minnesota for sparking the conversation. I've talked with uh, their board chair and their CEO. They're great folks, and they're they're trying to make sure that we all do the right thing. They sparked us. Ken Bishop and, and Sue Coffey are working really hard at the national level, and they've got a task force to try and come up with some things. So you, you never know. Our law might change a little bit before it goes in place. Uh, 
Keep in mind that laws take time. We have a two-year cycle. Somebody else starts something today, it might take them three years to put things in place. We're, we're going to have to deal with some law changes, but that, that's nothing new either. It's an exciting time to be a CPA for sure. It's an exciting time if we can, can put, thing, put options in front of people to get them into the program that couldn't otherwise get here and, and really add to the profession because the workload's only going to increase. And at some time, at some point, either people aren't going to get served or not going to get served with high yeah. quality. And that's unacceptable as a professional. We can't let that happen as a profession. If we let the talent shortage impact the protection of capital markets and investors and taxpayers, right. like that would be far worse than any of the potential mobility issues. Like we should put the public above our own interest in this regard. That's what our board of accountancy does. That's why they're yeah. the right ones to make the decisions. Well, David Thanks Noble, for everything you guys do to getting the word out and oh. telling people what's going on. This oh. is a this is a great show. If you haven't listened to it, you got to listen to these podcasts. It's great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, David Noble. We will put links to anything you would like to share uh, in regard to this initiative in our show notes. So, dear listeners, or if you're watching on YouTube, do check the description. Do check the show notes for the links. And we'll put a link where you can contact David Noble and learn more about the South Carolina Association of CPAs. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. Earmark.